0: SEPTEMBER 16TH THROUGH TO SEPTEMBER 22ND OF MORNING AND EVENING DAILY READINGS This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org Recording by Dave MORNING AND EVENING DAILY READINGS by Charles Spurgeon MORNING AND September the sixteenth partakers of the divine nature, second Peter one four to be a partaker of the divine nature is not of course to become God that cannot be the essence of deity is not to be participated in by the creature between the creature and the Creator. There must ever be a gulf fixed in respect of essence, but as the first man Adam was made in the image of God, so we, by the renewal of the Holy Spirit, are, in a yet diviner sense, made in the image of the Most High, and are partakers of the divine nature. We are by grace made like God. God is love. We become love. He that loveth is born of God. God is truth. We become true, and we love that which is true. God is good, and he makes us good by his grace, so that we become the pure in heart who shall see God. Moreover, we become partakers of the divine nature in even a higher sense than this, in fact, in as loftier sense as can be conceived, short of our being absolutely divine. Do we not become members of the body of the divine person of Christ? Yes, the same blood which flows in the head flows in the hand. And the same life which quickens Christ quickens his people. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. Nay, as if this were not enough, we are married unto Christ. He hath betrothed us unto himself in righteousness and in faithfulness. And he who is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. O marvelous mystery! We look into it, but who shall understand it? One with Jesus.' so one with him that the branch is not more one with the vine than we are part of the Lord, our Saviour and our Redeemer. While we rejoice in this, let us remember that those who are made partakers of the divine nature will manifest their high and holy relationship in their intercourse with others, and make it evident by their daily walk and conversation that they have escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Oh, for more divine holiness of life! Evening September 16th Am I a sea or a whale that thou settest a watch over me? Job chapter 7 verse 12 This was a strange question for Job to ask of the Lord. He felt himself to be too insignificant to be so strictly watched and chastened, and he hoped that he was not so unruly as to need to be so restrained. The inquiry was natural from one surrounded with such insupportable miseries, but after all it is capable of a very humbling answer. It is true man is not the sea, but he is even more troublesome and unruly. The sea obediently respects its boundary, and though it be but a belt of sand, it does not overleap the limit mighty as it is it hears the divine hitherto and when most raging with tempest it respects the word but self-willed man defies heaven and opposes earth neither is there any end to this rebellious rage the sea obedient to the moon ebbs and flows with ceaseless regularity and thus readers an active as well as a passive obedience but man restless beyond his sphere sleeps within the lines of duty indolent where he should be active he will neither come nor go at the divine command but sullenly prefers to do what he should not do and to leave undone that which is required of him every drop in the ocean every beaded bubble and every yeasty foam flake every shell and pebble feel the power of law and yield or move at once Oh, that our nature were but one thousandth part as much conformed to the will of God! We call the sea fickle and false, but how constant it is! Since our father's days, and the old time before them, the sea is where it was, beating on the same cliffs to the same tune. We know where to find it, it forsakes not its bed, and changes not its ceaseless boom. But where is man, vain, vain? Fickle man! Can the wise man guess by what folly he will next be seduced from his obedience? We need more watching than the billowy sea, and are far more rebellious. Lord, rule us for thine own glory. Amen. Morning, September seventeenth. Bring him unto me. Mark, chapter 9, verse 19. Despairingly, the poor, disappointed father turned away from the disciples to their master. His son was in the worst possible condition, and all means had failed, but the miserable child was soon delivered from the evil one, when the parent in faith obeyed the Lord Jesus' word, Bring him unto me. Children are a precious gift from God, but much anxiety comes with them. They may be a great joy, or a great bitterness to their parents. They may be filled with the Spirit of God or possessed with the spirit of evil. In all cases, the word of God gives us one receipt for the curing of all their ills. Bring him unto me. Oh, for more agonizing prayer on their behalf, while they are yet babes. Sin is there. Let our prayers begin to attack it. Our cries for our offspring should precede those cries which betoken their actual advent into a world of sin. In the days of their youth we shall see sad tokens of that dumb and deaf spirit, which will neither pray, aright, nor hear the voice of God in the soul. But Jesus still commands, Bring them unto me. When they are grown up, they may wallow in sin, and foam with enmity against God. Then, when our hearts are breaking, we should remember the great physician's words, bring them unto me. Never must we cease to pray until they cease to breathe. No case is hopeless while Jesus lives. The Lord sometimes suffers his people to be driven into a corner that they may experimentally know how necessary he is to them. Ungodly children, when they show us our powerlessness against the depravity of their hearts, drive us to flee to the strong for strength. And this is a great blessing to us. Whatever our morning's need may be, let it, like a strong current, bear us to the ocean of divine love. Jesus can soon remove our sorrow. He delights to comfort us. Let us hasten to Him while He waits to meet us. Evening, September 17th Encourage Him, Deuteronomy 1, verse 38 god employs his people to encourage one another he did not say to an angel gabriel my servant joshua is about to lead my people into canaan go encourage him god never works needless miracles if his purposes can be accomplished by ordinary means he will not use miraculous agency gabriel would not have been half so well fitted for the work as moses a brother's sympathy is more precious than an angel's embassy The angel swift of wing had better known the master's bidding than the people's temper. An angel had never experienced the hardness of the road, nor seen the fiery serpents, nor had he led the stiff-necked multitude in the wilderness as Moses had done. We should be glad that God usually works for man by man. It forms a bond of brotherhood, and being mutually dependent on one another, we are fused more completely into one family. Brethren, take the text as God's message to you. Labor to help others, and especially strive to encourage them. Talk cheerily to the young and anxious inquirer. Lovingly try to remove stumbling blocks out of his way. When you find a spark of grace in the heart, kneel down and blow it into a flame. Leave the young believer to discover the roughness of the road by degrees, but tell him of the strength which dwells in God of the sureness of the promise, and of the charms of communion with Christ. Aim to comfort the sorrowful, and to animate the desponding. Speak a word in season to him that is weary, and encourage those who are fearful to go on their way with gladness. God encourages you by His promises. Christ encourages you as He points to the heaven He has won for you, and the Spirit encourages you as He works in you to will and to do of his own will and pleasure, imitate divine wisdom and encourage others, according to the word of this evening. Morning, September 18th If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verse 25 The two most important things in our holy religion are the life of faith and the walk of faith. He who shall rightly understand these is not far from being a master in experimental theology, for they are vital points to a Christian. You will never find true faith unattended by true godliness. On the other hand, you will never discover a true holy life which has not for its root a living faith upon the righteousness of Christ woe unto those who seek after the one without the other. There are some who cultivate faith and forget holiness. These may be very high in orthodoxy, but they shall be very deep in condemnation, for they hold the truth in unrighteousness. And there are others who have strained after holiness of life, but have denied the faith, like the Pharisees of old, of whom the Master said, They were whitewashed sepulchres. We must have faith, for this is the foundation. We must have holiness of life, for this is the superstructure. Of what service is the mere foundation of a building to a man in the day of tempest? Can he hide himself therein? He wants a house to cover him, as well as a foundation for that house. Even so, we need the superstructure of spiritual life if we would have comfort in the day of doubt. But seek not a holy life without faith, for that would be to erect a house which can afford no permanent shelter, because it has no foundation on a rock. Let faith and life be put together, and like the two abutments of an arch, they will make our piety enduring. Like light and heat, streaming from the same sun, they are alike full of blessing." Like the two pillars of the temple, they are for glory and for beauty. They are two streams from the fountain of grace, two lamps lit with holy fire, two olive trees watered by heavenly care. O Lord, give us this day life within, and it will reveal itself without to thy glory. Evening, September 18th And they follow me. John chapter 10 verse 27. We should follow our Lord as unhesitatingly as sheep follow their shepherd, for he has a right to lead us wherever he pleases. We are not our own, we are bought with a price. Let us recognize the rights of the redeeming blood. The soldier follows his captain, the servant obeys his master. Much more must we follow our Redeemer, to whom We are a purchased possession. We are not true to our profession of being Christians if we question the bidding of our leader and commander. Submission is our duty. Cavilling is our folly. Often might our Lord say to us as to Peter, What is that to thee? Follow thou me. Wherever Jesus may lead us, he goes before us. If we knew not where to go, we know with whom to go. With such a companion, who shall dread the perils of the road? The journey may be long, but his everlasting arms will carry us to the end. The presence of Jesus is the assurance of eternal salvation. Because he lives, we shall live also. We should follow Christ in simplicity and faith, because the paths in which he leads us all end in glory and immortality. It is true they may not be smooth paths, they may be covered with sharp flinty trails, but they lead to the city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth, unto such as keep his covenant. Let us put full trust in our leader, since we know come prosperity or adversity, sickness or health, popularity or contempt, his purpose shall be worked out, and that purpose shall be pure, unmingled good to every air of mercy. We shall find it sweet to go up the bleak side of the hill with Christ, and when rain and snow blow into our faces, his dear love will make us far more blessed than those who sit at home and warm their hands at the world's fire. To the top of Amana, to the dens of lions, or to the hills of leopards, We will follow our beloved. Precious Jesus, draw us, and we will run after thee. Morning, September the 19th. The liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. This liberty makes us free to heaven's charter, the Bible. Here is a choice passage, believer. When thou passest through the rivers, I will be with thee. You are free to that. Here is another. The mountains shall depart, and the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from thee. You are free to that. You are a welcome guest at the table of the promises. Scripture is a never-failing treasury, filled with boundless stores of grace. It is the bank of heaven, You may draw from it as much as you please, without let or hindrance. Come in faith, and you are welcome to all covenant blessings. There is not a promise in the word which shall be withheld. In the depths of tribulations let this freedom comfort you. Amidst waves of distress let it cheer you. When sorrows surround thee, let it be thy solace. This is thy father's love token. Thou art free to it at all times. Thou art also free to the throne of grace. It is the believer's privilege to have access at all times to his heavenly Father. Whatever our desires, our difficulties, our wants, we are at liberty to spend all before him. It matters not how much we may have sinned. We may ask and expect pardon. It signifies nothing how poor we are. We may plead his promise that he will provide all all things needful. We have permission to approach this throne at all times, in midnight's darkest hour, or in noontide's most burning heat. Exercise thy right, O believer, and live up to thy privilege. Thou art free to all that is treasured up in Christ, wisdom, righteousness, sanctification and redemption. It matters not what thy need is, for there is fullness of supply in Christ, and it is there for thee. Oh, what a freedom is thine, freedom from condemnation, freedom to the promises, freedom to the throne of grace, and at last, freedom to enter heaven. Evening, September 19th. For this child I prayed. First Samuel, chapter 1, verse 27. Devout souls delight to look upon these mercies which they have obtained in answer to supplication, for they can see God's especial love in them. When we can name our blessings Samuel, that is, asked of God, they will be as dear to us as her child was to Hannah. Peninnah had many children, but they came as common blessings, unsought in prayer. Hannah's one heaven-given child was dearer far, because he was the fruit of earnest pleadings. How sweet was the water to Samson, which he found at the well of him that prayed! Quassier cups turn all waters bitter, but the cup of prayer puts a sweetness into the draughts it brings. Did we pray for the conversion of our children? How doubly sweet when they are saved! To see in them our own petitions fulfilled! better to rejoice over them as the fruit of our pleadings than as the fruit of our bodies. Have we sought of the Lord some choice spiritual gift? When it comes to us, it will be wrapped up in the gold cloth of God's faithfulness and truth, and so be doubly precious. Have we petitioned for success in the Lord's work? How joyful is the prosperity which comes flying upon the wings of prayer! It is always best to get blessings into our house in the legitimate way, by the door of prayer. Then they are blessings indeed, and not temptations. Even when prayer speeds not, the blessings grow all the richer for the delay. The child Jesus was all the more lovely in the eyes of Mary when she found him after having sought him sorrowing. That which we win by prayer we should dedicate to God, as Hannah dedicated Samuel. The gift came from heaven. Let it go to heaven. Prayer brought it. Gratitude sang over it. Let devotion consecrate it. Here will be a special occasion for saying, Of thine own have I given unto thee. Reader, is prayer your element or your weariness? Which? Morning, September the 20th. The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. Judges, chapter 7, verse 20. Gideon ordered his men to do two things. Covering up a torch in an earthen pitcher, he bade them, at an appointed signal, break the pitcher and let the light shine, and then sound with the trumpet crying, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon! The sword of the Lord and of Gideon! This is precisely what all Christians must do. First, you must shine. Break the pitcher which conceals your light. Throw aside the bushel which has been hiding your candle, and shine. Let your light shine before men. Let your good works be such that when men look upon you, they shall know that you have been with Jesus. Then there must be the sound, the blowing of the trumpet. There must be active exhortations for the ingathering of sinners, by proclaiming Christ crucified take the gospel to them, carry it to their door, put it in their way, do not suffer them to escape it, blow the trumpet right against their ears, remember that the true war cry of the church is Gideon's watchword, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon, God must do it, it is his own work, but we are not to be idle, instrumentality is to be used, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon, If we only cry the sword of the Lord, we shall be guilty of an idle presumption. And if we shout the sword of Gideon alone, we shall manifest idolatrous reliance on an arm of flesh. We must blend the two in practical harmony, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. We can do nothing of ourselves, but we can do everything by the help of our God. Let us, therefore, in his name, determine to go out personally, and serve with our flaming torch of holy example, and with our trumpet tones of earnest declaration and testimony. And God shall be with us, and Midian shall be put to confusion, and the Lord of hosts shall reign for ever and ever. Evening, September 20th In the evening withhold not thy hand. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 6 In the evening of the day, opportunities are plentiful. Men return from their labor, and the zealous soul-winner finds time to tell abroad the love of Jesus. Have I no evening work for Jesus? If I have not, let me no longer withhold my hand from a service which requires abundant labor. Sinners are perishing for lack of knowledge. He who loiters may find his skirts crimson with the blood of souls. Jesus gave both his hands to the nails. How can I keep back one of mine from his blessed work? Night and day he toiled and prayed for me. How can I give a single hour to the pampering of my flesh with luxurious ease? Up, idle heart, stretch out thy hand to work, or uplift it to pray. Heaven and hell are in earnest, let me be so. And this evening sow good seed for the Lord my God the evening of life has also its cause life is so short that a morning of manhood's vigour and an evening of decay make the whole of it to some it seems long but a fourpence is a great sum of money to a poor man life is so brief that no man can afford to lose a day it has been well said that if a great king should bring us a great heap of gold and bid us take as much as we could count in a day, we should make a long day of it. We should begin early in the morning, and in the evening we should not withhold our hand. But to win souls is far nobler work. How is it that we so soon withdraw from it? Some are spared to a long evening of green old age. If such be my case, let me use such talents as I still retain, and to the last hour serve my blessed and faithful Lord by his grace i will die in harness and lay down my charge only when i lay down my body age may instruct the young cheer the faint and encourage the desponding if eventide has less of vigorous heat it should have more of calm wisdom therefore in the evening i will not withhold my hand morning september twenty-first i will rejoice over them to do them good. Jeremiah chapter 32 verse 41. How heart cheering to the believer is the delight which God has in his saints. We cannot see any reason in ourselves why the Lord should take pleasure in us. We cannot take delight in ourselves, for we often have to groan, being burdened, conscious of our sinfulness, and deploring our unfaithfulness and we fear that God's people cannot take much delight in us, for they must perceive so much of our imperfections and our follies, that they may rather lament our infirmities than admire our graces. But we love to dwell upon this transcendent truth, this glorious mystery, that as the bridegroom rejoiceth over the bride, so does the Lord rejoice over us. We do not read anywhere that God delighteth in the cloud-capped mountains or the sparkling stars, but we do read that he delighteth in the habitable parts of the earth and that his delights are with the sons of men. We do not find it written that even angels give his soul delight, nor doth he say concerning cherubim and seraphim, Thou shalt be called Hephzibah, for the Lord delighteth in thee. But he does say all that, to poor, fallen creatures like ourselves, debased and depraved by sin, but saved, exalted, and glorified by His grace. In what strong language He expresses His delight in His people! Who could have conceived of the Eternal One as bursting forth into a song? Yet it is written, He will rejoice over thee with joy, He will rest in His love, he will joy over thee with singing. As he looked upon the world he had made, he said, it is very good. But when he beheld those who are the purchase of Jesus' blood, his own chosen ones, it seemed as if the great heart of the infinite could restrain itself no longer, but overflowed in divine exclamations of joy. Should not we utter our grateful response to such a marvellous declaration of his love, and sing, I will rejoice in the Lord, I will joy in the God of my salvation. Evening, September 21st. Gather not my soul with sinners. Psalm 26, verse 9. Fear made David pray thus, for something whispered, Perhaps after all thou mayest be gathered with the wicked. That fear, although marred by unbelief, springs in the main from holy anxiety, arising from the recollection of past sin. Even the pardoned man will inquire, What if at the end my sin should be remembered, and I should be left out of the catalogue of the saved? He recollects his present unfruitfulness, so little grace, so little love, so little holiness, and looking forward to the future, he considers his weakness and the many temptations which beset him, and he fears that he may fall and become a prey to the enemy. A sense of sin and present evil, and his prevailing corruptions, compel him to pray in fear and trembling, Gather not my soul with sinners. Reader, if you have prayed this prayer, and if your character be rightly described in the psalm, from which it is taken, you need not be afraid that you shall be gathered with sinners. Have you the two virtues which David had, the outward walking in integrity and the inward trusting in the Lord? Are you resting upon Christ's sacrifice, and can you compass the altar of God with humble hope? If so, rest assured, with the wicked you shall never be gathered, for that calamity is impossible. The gathering at the judgment is like to like. Gather ye together first the tares and bind them into bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. If then thou art like God's people, thou shalt be with God's people. You cannot be gathered with the wicked, for you are too dearly bought. Redeemed by the blood of Christ, you are his forever, and where he is, there must his people be. You are loved too much to be cast away with reprobates. Shall one dear to Christ perish? Impossible. Hell cannot hold thee. Heaven claims thee. Trust in thy surety and fear not. Morning, September twenty-second. Let Israel rejoice in him. Psalm 149, verse 2. Be glad of heart, O believer but take care that thy gladness has its spring in the Lord. Thou hast much cause for gladness in thy God, for thou canst sing with David, God my exceeding joy. Be glad that the Lord reigneth, that Jehovah is king. Rejoice that he sits upon the throne and ruleth all things. Every attribute of God should become a fresh ray in the sunlight of our gladness. That he is wise should make us glad, knowing as we do our own foolishness. That He is mighty should cause us to rejoice who tremble at our weakness. That He is everlasting should always be a theme of joy when we know that we wither as the grass. That He is unchanging should perpetually yield us a song since we change every hour. That He is full of grace, that He is overflowing with it, and that this grace in covenant He has given to us that it is ours to cleanse us, ours to keep us, ours to sanctify us, ours to perfect us, ours to bring us glory. All this should tend to make us glad in Him. This gladness in God is as a deep river. We have only as yet touched its brink. We know a little of its clear, sweet heavenly streams, but onward the depth is greater and the current more impetuous in its joy. The Christian feels that he may delight himself not only in what God is, but also in all that God has done in the past. The Psalms show us that God's people in olden times were wont to think much of God's actions, and to have a song concerning each of them. So let God's people now rehearse the deeds of the Lord, let them tell of his mighty acts, and sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. Nor let them ever cease to sing. For as new mercies flow to them day by day, so should their gladness in the Lord's loving acts in providence and in grace show itself in continued thanksgiving. Be glad, ye children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God. Evening, September twenty-second. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Psalm 61 verse two most of us know what it is to be overwhelmed in heart emptied as when a man wipeth a dish and turneth it upside down submerged and thrown on our beam ends like a vessel mastered by the storm discoveries of inward corruption will do this if the lord permits the great deep of our depravity to become troubled and cast up mire and dirt disappointments and heartbreaks will do this when billow after billow rolls over us, and we are like a broken shell, hurled to and fro by the surf. Blessed be God, at such seasons we are not without an all-sufficient solace. Our God is the harbour of weather-beaten sails, the hospice of forlorn pilgrims. Higher than we are is He, His mercy higher than our sins, His love higher than our thoughts. It is pitiful to see men putting their trust in something lower than themselves. But our confidence is fixed upon an exceeding high and glorious Lord, a rock He is since He changes not, and a high rock because the tempests which overwhelm us roll far beneath at His feet. He is not disturbed by them, but rules them at His will. If we get under the shelter of this lofty rock, we may defy the hurricane all is calm under the lee of that towering cliff. Alas, such is the confusion in which the troubled mind is often cast, that we need piloting to this divine shelter. Hence the prayer of the text. O Lord our God, by thy Holy Spirit teach us the way of faith, lead us into thy rest. The wind blows us out to sea, the helm answers not to our puny hand. Thou, Thou alone canst steer us over the bar between yon sunken rocks, safe into the fair haven. How dependent we are upon thee! We need thee to bring us to thee. To be wisely directed and steered into safety and peace is thy gift and thine alone. This night be pleased to deal well with thy servants. End of September 16th through September 22nd of Morning and Evening, Daily Readings, by Charles Spurgeon. Recording by Dave Krasnoyarsk, Russia, www.whitman.ru